Hello, and welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast, a podcast that explores L&D that works with those who are making it work. In this episode, I'm welcoming back Kenny Tomoe to continue our conversation about L&D at Netflix. So without further ado, let's get into it. Kenny, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Uh, so, Kenny, we spoke very recently, but felt we only scratched the surface with our first episode, hence the reason we're speaking again so soon. Uh, <laughs> but before we go any further, we have some unfinished business. In our first conversation in discussing a performance management and compensation philosophy at Netflix, you mentioned that you give leaders three things, if I remember correctly, but please do correct me if I don't. Uh, number one was what package could this person get in the market? Number two, uh, I think was what would you be willing to pay to keep them? But we left the listener hanging on for number three. So it's only fair. Perhaps we should start by closing the loop. And could you please give us the third? Yeah, we've been we've been letting people wait for a long time, haven't we? Um, <laughs> and and I, I fear that there's an anticlimax. But essentially, it's what, what would it cost to replace that person? Um, mm. That's the third one. And that was in the context of, you know, we were talking in our previous episode about, um, you know, read Hastings book, No Rules, Rules, and we talk about the fact that there aren't many rules at Netflix, but we do give people guidance. Uh, we give mm. leaders guidance when it comes to building their teams. Um, and those sort of three philosophical statements or principles uh, sort of uh, comprise that kind of guidance we give. Wonderful. Um, so um, the, the last uh, episode, uh, uh, I have to mention, it's, uh, it, it got rave reviews uh, on, uh, on oh, social media. So, uh, so, I'm glad, <laughs> so, so I'm glad that we put this time in yeah. again so quickly. Um, but um, whilst we talked quite a lot about culture in our first conversation, Kenny, I think I omitted possibly the most obvious question I could have asked you. So let me start with that one. Kenny, what's it like working at Netflix? <laughs> yeah, great question, um, David. And, and you know, I, I often get, I get lots of inquiries on LinkedIn, as I'm sure you did when you were at Disney and people, mm. um, you know, Netflix is a, it's got this brand halo, it's got this, it's, it's well known, it's well loved. Most people um, have, you know, are members of the service. And I think when we spoke last, you said you have a Netflix account, which is, right. which is always great. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so unsurprisingly, people are keen to, to understand well, what is it like to be on the inside of these, you know, these top fan companies, I guess is the acronym people mm. use now, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, um, uh, Google, and I forget what, what the other one is. Um, but so what is it like working at Netflix? I think the first thing I'd say, David, and to, to your listeners, is it's a, it's an amazing ride. It's a it's a it's quite a journey in many ways. Mm. Um, one of the things so we have we're a global organization and I'm based in, in, in UK in, in Mia and we have around 11 or 12 offices. Um, I think 12, we count one of our um, uh, acquired um, game studios and mm. you know, all the offices have their own flavor, you know, and to come into an, a company where the content that you enjoy watching, the content that you love um, is all around you. And uh, even mm. the names of the rooms, you know, um, named after, uh, uh, the, the great hits and one of the rooms I like using in the office is Stranger Things room, um, mm. and it just so happens to be a, a show that I love. So I think you've got you've got the sort of brand love that is so cool and so great. Um, there's the buzz around, particularly around the UK office. There is such a sort of special feeling and, and, and buzz. I think there's some myths that probably are worth busting at the same time. So mm. before I joined Netflix, and again, many of the other listeners might. Um, 
have felt the same way. You, you just heard the story around this high focus on performance, hmm. sort of intense focus on, uh, you know, getting A-star players who are sort of maybe Taipei personalities that really want to excel. And that's true. Um, but coming into Netflix, what surprised me was just how kind people were, you know, how friendly mm. people were and how um, down to earth and, you know, people really want to go out their way to help and sort of help you feel like a sense of belonging. So I think that's one myth that's worth busting. I think the other myth that's worth, bu worth busting is um, we talk a lot about the dream team. And I think that was quite mm. famous in the coach memo. We talked about that in our last yep. um, conversation. And so I think there's a meme or a myth around, you know, you have to have all of the most amazing people on your team. And whilst that's true to an extent, you know, there's no good being a solo singer and having three people that sound like Celine Dion in your, in your background vocal group. You know, yeah. you don't want backing singers to all sound like Celine Dion because they don't need to. And so, um, you know, similarly, I think we talk a lot now about having the right people in the right roles in the teams and not everybody has to be, um, you know, the, the most sort of expensive person on the market for that particular role. So mm. lo lots more I could say. I think maybe the final thing for risk of talk talking too much is, um, <laughs> you know, one of the challenges, just to be completely honest, is there's a lot of change. You know, Netflix mm. pivots very quickly. Um, we've all seen in, in sort of public eye our pivot to uh, uh, including ads, adverts on, this, on the mm. service, which we yep. weren't previously going to do. Um, and what, David, what comes with those pivots um, is, uh, you know, as you will know from your experience, right, is you, you often have reorgs, right? You have restructures. Mm -hmm. And probably the most difficult thing about working at Netflix is where you have to say goodbye to people that you care about. Mm -hmm. um, I remember we had a peer coaching um, uh, session and I was, I was, happened to be facilitating this one. And one of my, one of the participants didn't show up. The rest of the group were there. And I thought, oh, this is, this is rare of this person not to show up. And then I got a message on LinkedIn and, and she had said, well, she, uh, she's no longer in the, in the business because of a change. And, mm. you know, and we, you know, Netflix takes care of their people when, when in these situations, these people are often, you know, it's on our culture memo, they get generous packages and things like that, but still emotionally, it can be really, really difficult. So I think that's, mm. that's the sort of um, the challenging side of it. Well, thanks for lifting the lid there, Kenny. I think that, uh, that you're right. Everyone has a perception of what it's like to, to work at some of the, the, the world's um, uh, most famous and aspirational brands. Uh, and and it's and it's never one thing yeah. uh, either. You, you know, one thing that resonated with you first of all was uh, at Disney we had themed rooms as well. Yeah. So <laughs> so there was a Pirates of the Caribbean room, oh, Toy it. Story room. There was a Marvel room. Uh, so a princess room. So so you go on any floor and there's one themed room uh, within there. And what there was, was your favourite, David? What was your favourite room? My favourite. I did like Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, the, it had a, a glass top table with a um, uh, with a treasure map underneath. Oh, it. It you gotta love, Jack, gotta love it. Of uh, life size Jack Sparrow. Uh, it had um, uh, treasure trunks for seats uh, yeah. along oh, the wow. outside of the uh, the room. It, they'd really gone to town. So uh, oh, yeah, love a bit of Johnny Depp. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the room was dark, and it felt like you were in the hold of a ship. So, uh, wow. so it was. Uh, yeah, wow. they'd, they'd gone all in. Uh, there was, uh, although as I was uh, uh, coming to the end of my time, there was a Tron room uh, as well, which was pretty, uh, uh, pretty wild. So, um, oh, wow. uh, you know, and, and you know, and there was plush everywhere. There were posters, uh, and 
and, and the reason was is that uh, that that we never wanted people to forget where they worked. You know, it yeah. was really important that there was this constant reminder. But there was also this um, uh, misconception. I remember, I remember somebody coming in and visiting the office once. Uh, we sat down and they, you know, I'll never forget their words. They said to me, I bet this is a zany place to work. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, you know, you know I, I, didn't, I didn't just go in and correct them. I just wanted to fill in some of the blanks. I said, uh, actually, this is a really driven place to work, mm. that, that people bring this association with Disney with them that they've carried since they were a child. And, yeah. and they, you know, they, they're making the most of this opportunity and driving to make this brand that they love really successful. So you had really sharp people. I think that, uh, that we were able to track super smart leaders, really innovative people. So, so you know, there's, there's the old cliche that, uh, that metal sharpens metal. Mm. I think I became a much better professional as, mm-hmm. as a, a result of working with these really inspirational and talented and driven people. Uh, mm. And I think that, uh, that, that everybody did as well. It was, you know, they, they, you had the soft side, which was the reminder, but then you had the super smart, challenging side, which was, everybody striving to to make this a, a huge success yeah there's so many things coming off firing off me as you as you're talking um one mm. uh, one david about um you know reminding people of why they work there i remember i mm. sat in I'd, I'd set up a um so one of the things we do at netflix particularly in the uk at least is you know we want because the uk is a kind of a UK hub. So it's got people that have global roles, local country focused roles and regional EMEA roles. And one of the Mm. things we try to do is to help build that cross-functional acumen so people feel like they understand how the other teams are contributing to the success of of, of the, Mm. the UK team. And so I'd set up these conversations. We had the um, the leads at the creative for the creative marketing team. Um, I won't name the name the names. I don't want to sort of uh, uh, expose them, but they're great, great uh, talented colleagues. And they talked about the the campaign for Top Boy, uh, one of our, our UK mm. shows, um, and just the inspiring ideas. I mean, you're talking about booking up the IMAX cinema with iconic um, images. You're t- talking about the big red buses in London, you know, with yeah. splashes of of, to- of of Top Boy, and but just the thinking behind it. And it did, it did remind you of why you worked there. It reminded you of the sort of impact you were having. The other thing you were talking about was um, around the teams uh, and the sort of, you know, uh, you talked about the sort of soft side and the the driven side, but I think Patrick Lencioni in the book, The Advantage talks about it as sort of Mm. smart organizations and healthy organizations. And, you know, um, the smart stuff is the sort of technical, stuff right it's how do you put a marketing marketing campaign together and whatnot but the healthy stuff is that working as part of the team the no politics the inclusion and all of that stuff and i do think that you know um the, the sort of netflix philosophy of being in a dream team i think more so than ever in my career i've seen the power of being part of a team where you can be honest you're cared about you're loved but there's demand there's a demand there's an expectation mm. for you. And, and it's hard to get that balance you know yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so, so Kenny, building on what we discussed last time, uh, let's talk about leadership development. Yeah, Again, in our first yeah. conversation, we, um, we discussed how context is crucial in developing effective leaders. Uh, so perhaps yeah. you could start off by describing what leaders are expected to do at Netflix and what your leadership development initiatives are designed to achieve. Mm, yeah, good question. What are leaders expected to do at Netflix? So I, I guess that 
one way you can look at it is a sort of a global universal expectations, right? And, and a lot of companies, mm. you know, will have leadership expectations and what, and there's, mm. you know, some of these will, will be familiar to your audiences. So, you know, you're expected to, to hire, to build, to retain, um, you know, great, great team members uh, mm. in an inclusive way to give feedback, to show that you care, to help problem solve, seek different perspectives, cascade context, you know, from the business, all of those sort of usual, I think they're sort of global things. Um, and, uh, and then within that, I'd say, if you think about our culture, again, it always comes back to the culture, I suspect yeah. the audience might get bored of this. But you know, to, to, to pull out some values, you know, we talk a lot about courage, judgment, selflessness, but we don't, you know, it's easy just to rattle off those those words, mm. but it's within a context. And it's within the context I mentioned earlier, which is because Netflix has a sort of a startup energy, you know, Disney is a hundred years old of about, I don't know, a hundred thousand people maybe plus. Yeah. Um, right. Whereas ne Netflix is, you know, 25 years plus and, you know, so a quarter of that age and with about 12,000 people. So much younger, much smaller, um, and still trying to incubate the sort of startup energy. But what comes mm. with that startup energy is also um, the need for leaders to make high stakes judgment calls. Mm -hmm. And that takes courage. It yeah. takes selflessness to think about what's in the best interest of the business. And it takes judgment, right? Of course. Um, mm -hmm. Again, quick case in point, if you're a content leader, as I often come back to, and you're, you know, you're trying to pick a show that you think is going to land for your audience, um, you may have to push back and, and make a judgment call about whether we take that out of development, whether we continue with it how I give feedback to our partners and some of our writers, our directors. So in short, there's the sort of global universal things that are expected of leaders. And then there are sort of, if you're a, depending on your function. So if you're a league, if you're a lawyer, there's certain leadership qualities. I think that's needed there versus mm -hmm. if you're in the tech product team. And then your other question was, what are, what are our initiatives designed to achieve? Yeah. Right. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I, I mean, we could talk about this for days, and I know we don't have days, um, <laughs> but this is really, really exciting stuff for me. So I want to call out one chap. Um, uh, he's, he's um, I don't think he'll mind me mentioning his name. Peter, Peter Reiling is our um, VP of Leadership Programs, and he's just, he's like an institution at Netflix. He's, he's loved, um, and he's just, he's just fantastic. And mm. anyway, he, um, he used to work at the Aspen Institute, and the Aspen Institute, for people that don't know, is um, I believe it started, it was started by a chap called Mort, Alfred Mortimer. I'm probably butchering his name, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he, uh, basically there was a, there was a program in the US called the sort of Great Books Program. Long story short, there was this desire to equip uh, business leaders with just knowledge of some of the greatest books, you know, whether it's Dostoevsky, mm -hmm. whether it's Aristotle. Um, and so the Aspen Institute, which still continues today, they have things like the Aspen's Idea Festival, um, developed a program for CEOs and, and uh, business leaders to really deepen their knowledge in these sort of, in this space. So cut a long story short, we've, um, some years ago, we uh, sort of developed our own kind of leadership seminar program based on the Aspen Institute sort of style. So it's what we call text-based dialogue. So it's Socratic dialogue, where it's based on questions, based on reading stories. Um, mm. uh, his team, they, they hired, they didn't hire 
So if you think about some of the scenarios that you might have seen in certain companies where used in L&D sessions, these aren't just mini scenarios written by a consultant or someone. These are deep, powerful stories written by journalists or ex-journalists in the business. And, and mm. because Netflix is about stories, we use these stories or cases as a way of um, exemplifying key issues in the business. We don't have slides in these seminars. Um, so mm. it's like a retreat for a week. You gather together in a circle, um, learning from each other, being challenged by each other. There isn't a single slide, which makes me, which just makes my day, David. Yeah. But the stories are powerful and people are immersed in this in these stories. They're immersed in challenging conversations with each other. Um, so I'll, I'll pause there for a moment, but that's, mm. that's a little bit about uh, how we um, uh, use a sort of a Socratic seminar-based approach, a bit like business school with some of that flavor in there to help develop our leaders. Brilliant. Well, I, I, I'd love to go into some of the, the, the design principles um, very shortly. But one thing that really struck me that I think is absolutely essential, we've talked about culture, we've talked about context. You haven't talked about it too much, Kenny, I can promise you that. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, but when, when you said there that uh, that you might have some uh, some core leadership principles, but what it comes down to is recognizing that leaders of particular functions have different needs, yeah. and that is absolutely true. I think the only reason we've ever tried to accept that there are universal leadership principles that apply to IT, legal, sales, marketing, mm -hmm. um, and everything, in, and plus creatives yeah. and everything in between is because we've never had the resources in order to address them individually. So we've already always sought the unintended consequences or, or externalities um, mm -hmm. of bringing people together who don't normally work together. And we say, well, this is good. It's networking. It's not what we plan, but it's the only way we see that we can uh, apply a sufficient resource to an initiative like leadership. But when it comes down to it, if we don't admit even to ourselves that these roles, these leadership roles are actually different, mm -hmm. then then I think I think that we are we're, we're missing a trick. Yeah, perhaps very generously. And perhaps we're not being wholly honest. Yeah. If we look at the other end of the scale. It's interesting you should say that, David. It's it's almost like imagine um, uh, I mean, I don't know, take, take the show like Stranger Things, because I, I mentioned that mm -hmm. earlier. It's like assuming that Stranger Things is only loved by Gen Zs, you know, mm. or Gen Xs or millennials or whatever the case might be, um, or, or One Piece uh, or, the, or the Beckhams, you know, like that there's a particular group only that, that like it. And look, our Consumer Insights mm. team will often talk about uh, which groups tend to watch certain hits and, and shows, uh, the most loved shows more often. But actually what we find is, that's you know multi-generational there's a, a range of people that yeah. are attracted to this so people might say well Kenny what's that got to do with leadership well similarly you know if you take a challenge or a task that's not unique to one particular group mm. you know whether whether the the task you know often we split up leadership into early intermediate middle or advanced leadership or whatever assuming that everyone's challenges are unique to their their tenure in the business or their seniority. Mm. And it's not always as, as sort of cut and dry. So in short, I think that, um, yes, you know, there'll always be some global things um, that, that are universal and common, but I do think you're right. I think it was a good point you made where you said, actually that seems to have been a function of a lack of resources um, mm. at that, you know, that we could apply. And so we've been quite generic and, and um, you know, we, we also have constrained resources, although we're Netflix. So we've got to be smart about 
what are the you know the 80 20 what are those high impact things at the 20 that's going to impact the 80 um, but still there's room for innovative thinking here i think yeah, one hundred percent. So let's get into uh, to design then, uh, Kenny, uh, because having been in L and D for many decades, I've experienced and delivered, I must admit, leadership training that's based on core themes or tenets of leadership and best practices, but that have nothing to do with the actual jobs of the people yeah. in the room or that we're expected to complete the training. So. How are you going about making sure that you're designing to solve real problems, to reflect people's actual roles and challenges and designing for meaningful impact? Yeah, so again, we, you will have talked about this with uh, previous um, kind of guests on your show. I think um, we do a lot of discovery work. So at the global mm. level, local level, um, so whether that's semi-structured interviews, lots of listening stations, lots of, you know, through our sentiment survey, um, our CHRO will often uh, do a number of tours as, as his team will. Um, and then through our HRBPs, you know, historically, uh, you know, we've not always had a larger LNOD, learning organization development, or even talent management function. HRBPs have historically played quite a big role coaching our leaders. And so they have a lot of context um, that we sort of, um, you know, seek. Uh, and then for our programs on the front line. So I think the first thing is, do that discovery work. You've got to understand, you know, if you want to, mm -hmm. and it's really important for people listening, um, you know, if you want to change anything, I mean, it sounds blindingly obvious, but if you want to change something, you've got to understand the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't understand the problem, it's like an entrepreneur, you know, an entrepreneur that wants to get that product market fit, um, but yeah. no one's really buying the product because what is it solving for? What's the solution? Uh, what's the problem? Sorry. So, um, yeah, doing that discovery work, deep discovery work to understand um, what the problem space is, uh, and then designing around that. I, I, I do love that. It was uh, it was Timu Lilia and uh, and um, uh, his colleague Frederick at uh, Telia who introduced me to the term "fall in love with the problem." Yeah, and you know, you think I I do love that, and I know there's there, you know there's 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 a book written on that, so uh, so that so they've clearly been inspired. But certainly in learning and development, you know, we we miss that a lot of the time because uh, we or our stakeholders um, uh, expect us to jump to solution really quickly, or uh, think that we should always have a kit bag full of solutions ready for whatever problem uh, might come about so 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 in what what approaches do you use to to discover you talked about some of the, the methods there yeah. uh, i know that we we'd previously spoken uh, and you know uh, about uh, about nick shuckton jones and you'd said yeah. that you use 5di yeah. is you know is, is that your 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 chosen method of uh, of discovery and uh, and design and uh, and the like yeah i'd say so i'd say so in many ways i think it's it's top down and bottom up isn't it so that um mm. for listeners who don't understand or aren't familiar with 5di um you know, uh, created um, from, through uh, Nick Chapman Jones and and with others that he had worked with. I know perhaps before even BP days, where he, he used to work, um, and I did a lot of work with him and the team um, in our consulting days. So essentially, you start off with that defined piece, uh, so understanding what is the what are the business level results we're looking for. Some people start with the discover the second D, which is you know understanding the problems. It's that sort of bottom up piece. So you get that. In essence, you get the top down and the bottom up. And I do use that. We do use that in different ways. We use sort of an agile methodology. So using quick sprints to you know, work with um, the end users, involve the end users. Uh, I try to do, throughout my career, I've tried to do that as much as possible. I think, I always think it's strange where, um, you know, it's just in an ivory tower, right? We just sort of come up with our, our goods and say, here you go. And we're surprised when it doesn't land as much. <laughs> 
or mm. as much as possible, even it's through back channels on Slack, I'll often sort of say, hey, our team is thinking about this. What do you think? You know, you don't remember uh, Tracy Waters? I think she's a friend of yours. I know she's been on the show. Yeah, that's right, from right, Sky, right. yeah. She used to talk about, I remember she used to talk about um, delighting the the audience. So she would talk about mm. putting a, a prototype in front of uh, the audience and, and looking at their responses, their reactions, and uh, are we delighting? So um, all of those sorts of things are, are the kinds of things I would use, yeah. With the with the level of discovery that uh, that you're yeah. talking about, um, it's highly unlikely that that you're going to create a one and done learning experience because yeah. I think that uh, that uh, that that you and I know, and anybody listening to this podcast uh, for any amount of time knows that you can't expect anything other than limited impact if you are creating one done or or slight just slightly blended um, uh, experiences that 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 are that it's kind of blended just really to, to increase the impact of the, the yeah. main experience. So could you talk us through how you design for continuous learning and therefore impact? Yeah, although I'm going to push back on you a little bit there, David, I, I, I think oh, yeah. that <laughs> I, I think, you know, if you think if you think about impactful experiences, you know, I, I received mm. I received some feedback the other day and um, that was a few seconds of the feedback. But I haven't forgotten it to this day. You know, mm. feedback I've received years ago, I haven't forgotten it to this day. That's pretty impactful mm. as an experience. So I don't know to I don't know to what extent it's the duration, as it is the um, the kind of format, the approach, uh, mm. the, the sort of medium. Um, that said, I do I do agree that you know where we can create that journey is quite helpful. So to your question. Mm. Um, you know, we, this is something I think we can do much better at as an organization, if I'm completely honest. I think we have, you know, we have like our week long seminars and we have a range of different seminars over time. But I think mm. we can be better at embedding that learning using nudge comms campaigns in between events and things like that. Mm. Um, to be completely candid, I think where we're at as an organization is such that we've, we've actually emphasized that if we think about 70, 2010, I think we've indexed on that 70. You know, which is mm. probably a good position to be in. Um, yeah. And we're now thinking far more about how interconnected our different products are in the 10 in the ten space. So for people that don't mm. know what that is, that's 70, 20, 10 or experience, exposure, education, as some people like to think about it, right? Um, you can say far more, more than I on that, no <laughs> doubt, David. Um, so, so yeah, we do think of that continuous journey and some of it is through Slack. So using Slack as a way mm. of getting that drumbeat of communication. So whatever events we might be running we'll just continually have sort of a content strategy to engage people through slack and that often we find is is just that asynchronous way of doing it can often be quite helpful mm. no i'm completely with you i think that uh, if you if you're bringing cohorts along together and they're experiencing a need or as you said you've uh, you've they've had an experience that is a springboard to them wanting to develop uh, then a lot of the time that 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 can be an enormous enormously more powerful than uh, than than say content delivery um but uh, but uh, but i'm gonna have to pick you up uh, kenny yeah. because because uh, i think that we actually agree on uh, on the feedback element i uh, in uh, programs that, uh, that 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 i've experienced myself and uh, uh, and and run um a, a, a 360 or an element mm. of um of development is more often than not the most powerful part yeah uh, i think that yeah. there is there is very little more powerful than receiving yeah. feedback from your peers about what goes on and i think that um ra rather that i i wouldn't categorize it as a as a as a one and done 
but as as I mentioned there, a springboard yeah. that it I think it takes an incredible, incredibly thick skin <laughs> to yeah. not respond yeah. to uh, uh, to uh, well, yeah. and it's and it's a balance, isn't it? Sorry, just jumping in there, David. It's yeah. a balance as well, I think, between having thick skin and Teflon skin, because yeah. you know you want to be thick skinned. But then um, you, you don't want to, and then at the same time, it needs to feel like water for ducks back at the same time. It needs yeah. to just slip off you it's in certain regards, depending on the feedback. Um, I mean, yeah. there's so much in there, but uh, I'll stop there for now because I know we've got, <laughs> got much to talk about. We do, we do. Um, now, we're, we're going to go back to the C word, uh, Kenny, uh, because we've, uh, we've mentioned culture plenty today yeah. uh, and a great deal in our first conversation. And this means how things are done at Netflix, uh, empowered, of course, and restricted by org structure, processes, systems, employees, management, customers, stakeholders, technology, and all manner of other things. Mm-hmm. So to what extent do you include these in your design and ultimately in the learning experience? Oh, to what extent do we include culture in the design? How do you mean? Could you could you give an example? Yeah, sure. So everything. So so I I I personally believe that uh, that um, uh, almost everything that um, that we're involved in or asked to get involved in mm. at um, uh, when we're in company L and D emanates from the question: How do we do the right things here at this company? But a lot of L and D solutions are provided completely remiss of any of the context of the organization. Mm. Generic content suites, off-the-shelf programs. Uh, we've, all, we've all done it, whether for right or wrong, contacted our friends and colleagues elsewhere and said, could you, could, what, what have you got on leadership? And, yeah. uh, and oh, I could borrow that. So, um, so it's, not, it's not actually respecting what, yeah. uh, the way that, that, that people operate. And I can say with confidence now um, that, um, that those and I call them mistakes of my mm-hmm. of my early years, um, uh, picking up and uh, and dropping programs that I created for one organization, running them in another. Uh, I remember, and I mentioned on the podcast before, uh, uh, developing something for NatWest when I was there on performance mm-hmm. management, and um, uh, I delivered this at um, Lehman Brothers uh, when I was there. And uh, and so I did this stuff, and there was quite a lot of dissent in the training room, and yeah. uh, and so and I got through all of my stuff. Uh, and you'll have to excuse my fruity language here. Someone, someone who had his arms crossed right at the back of the room went, so when do we tell them their shit? <laughs> right, and you know when you go in, this really isn't going well. Uh, and, it, and it's stuff like that that, uh, that, um, that, you know, as you go along, you go, right, okay, this isn't just about um, uh, programming people with an idealised way of yeah. working or managing or leading. This is understanding the territory in which yeah. people operate. And in finance and banking, uh, probably the same uh, uh, from what I've seen in, say, journalism, yeah. there's, a tough, there's a tough exterior that you need to penetrate. Yeah. Uh, and it might not just be a tough exterior. There might be tough in the middle as well. But you need to design for the terrain and not actually do something idealised. So, so I wonder to what extent in your, in your discovery mm. and design, you're yeah. incorporating how things should be done, uh, yeah. or, or maybe not should be done, but are done. The expected yeah. and rewarded behaviors at Netflix. Yeah, I mean, it's so good. Again, this is this is one we could we could really, you need to turn your podcast into day long interviews, really, don't you, Dave? Don't, imagine that. <laughs> Just. Are we signposting episode three? <laughs> <laughs> Just this perpetual conversation that just never stops. Why not? No, <laughs> I infuriate your audience. Um, so it reminded me of 
I love your story, by the way. And it reminded me of, uh, I remember when I was a startup and um, we had these uh, really polished cheat sheets, these sort of one pages, mm. a bit similar to the sort of checklist, checklist manifesto work that um, Atul Gwande talks about. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and if some of the feedback I got was like, well, Kenny, this feels too corporate. You know, it's it's too polished almost. And I'd come out, I'd come out of consulting, where that's what you did. In fact, the feedback at consulting in consulting to me was often, "This is not polished enough." Ah, uh, yeah. You know, and um, that's a whole another thing. That's often because you know, part of a way of justifying your existence is that you um, mm. have the most polished slides in the world. But hey, we won't uh, won't take a knock at our consulting bodies. <laughs> um, but in a startup world, it was like, yeah, this is too polished. It needs to feel a bit more scrappy. So. But to your point, it's if you involve the end users in that design process, right? If you involve them in the discovery, if you build the prototype and you get feedback, again, it's a sort of test, learn, iterate, test, learn, iterate over and over. By the time you get to deploy, so that's the fourth D, so define, design, discover, deploy, um, you know, you've at least got it to a point where um, it's, it's more likely to sort of land. And the other thing is, you know, part of it is in the delivery. You know, reading the room, a, a bit similar to mm. what you were sort of talking about. And, you know, our, a lot of our uh, teams come from the indie world or the independent world mm. or the TV and films sort of the freelance world. Not all of them are from Hollywood, like in, the, in LA. And so in that space, you know, it's quite informal. You know, again, it's yeah. not very corporate and they sort of resist and have an adverse reaction to anything that feels corporate. So part of it is also, um, you know, flexing your style um, in the conversations with folk to match to match them, and then lastly, you know, in 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 most almost all the work we do, we we start with context. I mean, the context is so mm. important. So, what is the mission of the company? The mission of the company at Netflix is to entertain the world, and in yeah. the process to build a widely successful business. That's the that's the vision, and there's some new numbers attached to that, which I won't share here, and I don't know if that's public, but um, and so we start with okay, well, this is the north star. Our culture is simply the tactic towards the excellence and to how we get there. And for them, it's important to recognize, you know, what are your, what are your um, uh, areas of expertise and how you can contribute that. So we're constantly trying to tie whatever we do into the sort of uh, end goal for the company as well. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and then here's the million dollar uh, question, uh, Kenny. Um, what what What's your... Um, measures of success for leadership development do you have yeah. certain milestones that you're looking to hit in your define and discovery phases uh, had you determined what um uh say quantitative measures that yeah. you were seeking to to improve um and you know and and how far down the journey of uh, of, of achieving those are you again another good question this might sound like sound like a cop out <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but but i mean there, there's what would help with this is maybe in a moment I can share some more detail into some of the experiences that we've designed because mm. uh, that might bring it to life a bit. But I'll say it this way around so I answer your question first. Um, maybe a bit um, apocryphal or, or um, I don't know how true it is, but there was a story where um, you know Reed Hastings, our former CEO, has always just sort of lent in with sort of intuition and uh, you know his point of departure is that you know let's treat human beings like adults. You know, teach our, mm. treat our employees like the adults they are, and let's assume impact. Let's assume that this stuff is working. Yeah. Um, and it's a very um, bold position to to sort of, and a very different position to start from. 
but partly he can assume that because he had been part of the seminar work that I mentioned earlier and he'd sort of seen the impact. So it does help when you can win your C-suite over and you can get them involved in the experience because then actually they're not looking for the the kind of data metrics that we, we sort of spend time on. Look, if you spend time on a randomized control trial, I mean, in some instances, the amount of money it spends to actually in implement the trial is more than you know than it costs for you to sort of develop the intervention in the first place. So I think there's always trade-offs in terms of really what's the return on investment for doing this kind of deep measurement. But yeah, in generally in terms of impact, for me, it's about, yes, there's impact on a bottom line, but there's impact in terms of what are the kinds of stories that people are telling when, they, when they're in the mm. business. And I will often hear stories of people sharing, you know, the, being at these seminars, they'll say, Kenny, hey, this was so great. I'm now going to run this with my team. Or I'm now going to take my team in this and all of those sorts of things. And so so I think impact, you know, once we, we have to sort of start by defining what, what good looks like and then sort of working mm -hmm. from there. And so tell us about the experiences, Kenny. I'd love yeah. to, again, this is going to lift the lid on what it's like at uh, L&D at Netflix. Yeah, no, totally. So we, we recently partnered with... Um, in the UK, we partnered with a, a, a theatre agency, Punch Drunk. Some of your audiences mm. might know Punch Drunk. They do a lot of uh, internationally acclaimed work. And um, essentially, the context was, uh, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, we, you know, our, our teams go through a lot of change. And when I joined, I did some discovery work, spent a number of months in the business, with the business. My, my manager would say to me, Kenny, if you're sitting with us in the HR team, there's a problem. Go and sit with people in the business uh, yeah. and spend time with them. And... Um, and what came to the surface was that just navigating change was just a frequent thing. You know, the, mm. the, whatever you call it, issues around psychological safety, sense of belonging, um, or just how it's impacting the execution. So anyway, we partnered with Punch Drunk and we set out in this theater, this theater set in London and talking about lights, smoke, haze. It was a, it was a built city. That was, uh, I think, mm. I guess a handcrafted, a built, built uh, city. And um, what we wanted to do is we wanted to take leaders and immerse them in such a unfamiliar, uncomfortable experience to simulate the idea of their new team members going through a similar change where they join Netflix. Mm. I mean, in my first month of Netflix, I, I lost probably a, a whole team. This was when last year when a lot of tech companies were, were doing layoffs. Um, that was soon into my tenure on Netflix. And so we put leaders in this really unfamiliar territory and um, we had some blindfold exercises where we, they had blindfolds on and we were connecting it to the idea of how do you take your team on a journey when you don't know where you're going? When you mm. don't have all the context, when uh, when it feels like changes are happening in the US and then you're in the EMEA region and you're having to sort of react. Uh, there were some other things we did, which I can't share here because uh, they might listen to it and it will, it will be a spoiler for the um, subsequent events. But that the, the most impactful one, and it, someone will say, well, Kenny, you're just making this up now. But the most impactful piece was one I couldn't share. But let's say it was a bit of a simulation. And... Um, it was so on the edge that me and my boss who were facilitating were actually scared that we'd made a big mistake um, and that we shouldn't have done it, but the feedback at the end was great. Uh, but again, what we were trying to do is really challenge and push the envelope so that it became a memorable experience. And the feedback afterwards to say um, was positive. Um, you know, you then now have to think about how do you scale that? And there's, you know, lots mm. of things around, you know, packaging these assets so they can deploy, be deployed easily elsewhere. But it, um, I can, I can, rem I can literally see the expression on their faces now, as we were mm. doing that change experience. Um, and so, um, you know, when you think, uh, lastly, I'll say, when you think when audiences, 
the people listening to this think about that there's all man that you can't take a traditional corporate approach to that because you're mm. even the sort of material material you use the assets so you know we did an ex, uh, part of that experience there's a there's a journey where they have to go to a different part of the city and even what's designed has to feel like it's in world has to feel like it's mm. in the city so the burnt city is the name of the venue we'd used and it's a sort of a uh, a play about the, the the greek ancient greeks and the and the trojans i believe so um all the assets we were building had to feel like they were part of that world which felt very unfamiliar and just sort of did a was a riff on the idea of change in part including moving into an unfamiliar territory yeah wow yeah i know i know that you're all for uh, for the experiences and of course the experiences can move people uh you know so uh you know yeah, it sounds, it sounds as if you're uh, the, the, the folks, the, the leaders at, uh, at Netflix are, uh, are having quite extraordinary experiences uh, yeah, that, uh, that, that, that lead into incredible impact. Yeah, I think I think that, um, you know, we've got a long way to go in terms of scaling that impact, I'd say. That's mm. part of our the thing we're thinking about now. But, um, you know, I think leaders have lots of great things to say, I think, about the experiences that they have in Netflix, which I think is a, is a positive. Yeah, brilliant. Well, well, Kenny, as we look to wrap up uh, this, uh, this second conversation of ours, um, I wonder what advice you'd give to the listener who is looking to either um, develop um, a leadership development program uh, from scratch now or, or rehash um, uh, and rework uh, an existing leadership development program. Say that they yeah. had carte blanche. What, uh, what, mm. what advice would you give to them based on, uh, on your experience now? Great question. Wow, what a good question. Do they need a leadership development program is would be the first question, you know. Oh, good question. <laughs> be, do you need it? You know, um, if you didn't do anything, would things get better by themselves? Mm. You know, um, and so, so that that's the first place I'd sort of start from, you know. Um, and then, you know, if they'd gone through those sort of initial thoughts, um, uh, we, you know, we, we call this at Netflix first principle stinking. It's not unique to Netflix, but it's this idea to your point. If you had a blank canvas, would you do what others have done or what, what might you do as a starting point? Um, so you start with the why, I guess, is the first piece. Mm. And then, um, like we said, I think spend time, um, you know, look for quick wins. So what, what already exists in the business? Where can you sort of create that cross-pollination? Maybe something exists in another part of the business and you can sort of just repeat that elsewhere. Um, depends on the budget, of course. Depends on, you know, what are we looking at? I don't think you have to spend millions and millions and millions to take people to hotels necessarily. So I'd be looking at what are the quick wins, understand what the challenges are that people have on the ground um, and, uh, you know, start simple and build from there. Use your leaders as your key allies. Uh, build with the leaders because uh, so much of the impact actually happens through the leader and their teams. So, uh, so I wouldn't think about programs, that's for sure. Maybe the other way to answer mm. is what I wouldn't do. What I wouldn't do, start with off the shelf and just think about programs. I wouldn't be looking, having a solution, looking for a problem. I'd look to mm. understand the problem. Brilliant, solid advice. Uh, Kenny, thank you very much for, for joining me Lots again. Lots of fun thank again, you David. so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for, uh, for continuing to lift the, uh, lift the lid. Of, uh, of life and L&D at Netflix. And uh, Kenny, thank you very much for being a guest again on the Learning and Development Podcast. Pleasure to be here and uh, thanks so much for having me. So much of what Kenny shared in this conversation is heartening to me because it's so much of what we've been talking about over the years on this podcast. 
The resistance to just deliver a solid leadership development program and actually commit to helping leaders at Netflix is inspiring, and I hope it provided inspiration to you too. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and thousands of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn again. You'll find links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.